I, ever since I was a little kid, I, I, I viewed myself as a future professional athlete. Now, when I was a little kid, it started as hockey, it transitioned to baseball, it, it went to football, and then, you know, those were all pipe dreams with my build. But bottom line is, I, I love to compete, I love sport, and I have faith that I was meant to do this because it's always called me. So I just, I wouldn't be anywhere else and be full, you know, like this is what fills my cup. This is what makes me feel like I'm whole. And it's just, a, it's a special thing to get up every day and like be excited to do what you do. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 87 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. In 2021, I had a really hard year of life and racing. Nothing seemed to go right, and I was desperate for answers. I feel like I trusted God, took a leap of faith, and it's paid off big time. After strengthening his faith, following his heart, and betting on himself, it paid huge dividends for Rory Linkletter in 2022. Rory set the Canadian half marathon record at Houston in January, where he scorched a 6108. Rory also competed gamely and ran 62-19 in the New York City half, placing 10th in a stacked field. These and many other great results led to him being named to the World Championship Oregon 2022 team for Athletics Canada, where he'll be running the marathon and he'll have the great honor of competing for his country. On working with Ryan Hall, Ryan has rewired my brain through his charisma, his wisdom, his faith. I couldn't have drawn up a better person to guide me through this transition in my career. In seven months of working together, I couldn't have imagined someone working so quickly to change who I am as an athlete and as a person. It feels divine. I'm super grateful it all worked out signing with Puma Running. Topics. Coach and mentor, Ed Eyestone. Online coaching with the Bruces, Stefan Ben. Favorite races. Boston learnings. Defining moments. Houston Canadian record. Mindset. The NAS Elite Experience, Taking a Leap of Faith, Ryan Hall, Exploring Edges, New Limits, His Respectful Rivalry with Ben Flanagan, The Lone Wolf Mentality, Puma Signing, Drive, Spirit, The Underdog Mentality, Deepening His Faith, Therapy, and Community Service. I'm stoked to follow Rory's inspiring journey. Such a fun chat with so many great takeaways. Let's dive on in and take a listen. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How you doing this afternoon? I'm good. I'm good. I just finished a, a morning track session, replenished myself with some food, was checking some Diamond League uh, results before this call, and now here I am ready to talk running and whatever else comes up. Love it, man. So busy. You've had a full day already, man. You're you're hitting it from all ends, and uh, yeah, Diamond League action going on as well. So what was the what was the workout this morning? Uh, 20 by 400, just nice and cruisy, nothing too crazy. One-to-one -one recovery. I've, I've done five in the last five days, three workouts. So it's, it, none of them have been super like barn burners, but just kind of like callousing my legs to like running on tired legs, running fast pace. I found out I was going to worlds on Friday and I hadn't done any marathon prep. So now it's about density and, and callousing the legs. I'm, I'm fit, I'm healthy. So now it's just prepping. Love it. And 
for everybody at home, um, uh, you are based in Flagstaff. Uh, great, great training place, right? How many years have you been out there? And uh, what is it like for us who aren't in an environment like that? That's like so awesome for training. Give us a little bit of background on what that's like. Yeah, so I moved to Flagstaff, Arizona in July 2019. So I'm coming up on my three-year mark. Um, and I was blown away by Flagstaff the first time I ever visited it. It's it's very unique, right? Like people, like when I tell people that don't know much about Flagstaff, oh, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona, they assume it's Phoenix, right? It couldn't be further from that. Not not proximity wise, it's actually not that far from Phoenix, but like environmental and, uh, you know, climate, scenery. We're not in the desert. It's a high desert, but it's mountains. It's giant pine trees all around us. We're in a forest, one of the biggest national forests in the US. So, uh it's just loaded with service roads, good weather year round. Like today, I, I know that, you know, a lot of listeners are probably in uh, varying parts of the country where it's starting to get super hot and it does get warm here, but like it's dry and it's, it's, it's moderate heat. Like it's 78 degrees right now, Fahrenheit. And uh, most houses in Flagstaff don't even have AC because there's not even a need for it. Cause it gets like, at max, like 90 degrees for like two weeks of the year. So it's perfect. The winters are mild. Like we'll get some snow, but it melts, uh, pretty quick. It's sunny, like 300 plus days a year. Yeah. I, I can't speak highly enough for how much I've enjoyed it as like a town, not only to train in, but just like community wise, I think it's really, really fun mountain town. I'm, I'm a big fan of the mountains. I've always lived, you know, in proximity to them. So I feel very at home here, even though I've only lived here three years. Well, you pretty much just sold me and anybody who listens to run chats on coming out to Flagstaff for training. Um, and not to mention, of course, the altitude, which is why probably so many people move out there, not just great runners and ultra runners, but also cyclists, triathletes, whatever. You have, just have such a well-rounded community out there. And it's so legendary for the Lake Mary road shots uh, for you many, many years running with Naz Elite and being with the team out there, seeing so many runners, men and women, elites, you know, banging out their long runs and doing their work on there. But we don't really see too many shots of the track because you're just mentioned in the 2400s. Do you do the 400s on the road too? Or do you, do, do you actually hit the track when you're, when you're doing your intervals and stuff like that? Yeah, I've been hitting the track quite a bit this spring, mostly because I was racing track. But yeah, I was at NAU's track this morning. Um, you probably, if you follow a lot of the runners that visit Flagstaff and live here, you see the Sedona track a lot, which is about a 45-minute drive from Flagstaff. You drop in altitude. Uh, it's gorgeous red rock scenery, um, 4,500 feet. So you can run a little bit closer to race pace and get a little bit more bang for your buck on those quicker sessions. But, uh, I'm personally like, unless I have to really like crush a workout, I don't like to drop down too often. I, I prefer to just stay up and, and get really good at running at 7,000 feet. I find it super beneficial for me. I've lived at altitude my whole life. I was born at just above 3,500 feet in Calgary, Alberta, and I was raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is just under 5,000 feet. And so I just naturally moved up in altitude and I just feel like I'm a, an altitude warrior in some sense. That's great, man. What a, what a great background for, uh, for coming into distance running. Um, so tell everybody a little about where you grew up, um, give them some background on family life, you know, where you started out before you made the move and, uh, got involved with professional running. Yeah. So 
both my parents are from Calgary, Alberta. That's where I was born. Uh, that's where I still consider like my hometown. Uh, a lot of fond memories, a lot of family. Uh, but I did move to the States when I was fairly young with my mother uh, to Salt Lake, Utah, uh, the area of Salt Lake, Utah. And I, I lived there from, I guess, I, when I was five or six years old till I graduated high school, uh, which then I moved to Provo, Utah, which is really just 40 minutes south of where I was living uh, most of my childhood. So went to BYU there uh, and just, you know, fell in love with the mountains, the trail running. Like I actually like, I find myself like really, really infatuated with all types of endurance sports. Like I, I could, I could go into details about like my fandom, like throughout university when I was working at a run specialty store and all my friends were, were running ultras and stuff. And now moving out to Flagstaff and meeting guys like Jim Walmsley and, and stuff like that. It's like, I just love the, the entire spectrum of the sports, especially, uh, especially here in the, in the Western United States where, you know, the trails are so epic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I come from a big family that most of them either live in Calgary, Alberta now, or Salt Lake, Utah. I have five siblings. Um, I, I recently, uh, had my first kid. So I've started my family. Uh, he's, uh, 10 months old. So we're approaching the one year, uh, mark with him and that's been awesome. My wife and I got married in 2018 after she finished her eligibility as a gymnast at BYU. Uh, she's from Southern California, so I kind of have a little bit of a home there as well with my in-laws. And yeah, we just we just are living our best life uh, out here in uh, the rural section outside of Flagstaff, Arizona now and just loving, loving it. Love it. So, so much in there. So BYU, baby. So the Cougars, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, met your wife there. Very, very fun. And uh, I know one of your most influential coaches is from there, right? It was Ed Eyestone, right? You guys connected. Yep. And, you know, I uh, actually, when I first got involved, Rory, in my own running in like my 30s, and my mid 30s, and really got into marathoning and following the sport and watching the US Olympic trials and all, Ed Eyestone was always in the mix. I mean, he was definitely always vying for an Olympic trials, you know, marathon qualifying times was, a, was a really strong runner. I'm pretty sure he was pretty good in like the 10 K and the other distance as well as most marathoners are. Cause they have the strength, but I definitely remember him, um, being somebody who really was a strong, strong runner and showed up at all the big, like us championship races. So was he actually your coach in college when you're running for BYU or are you guys just connected? He was my coach. So he still is the coach. I think he's been coaching at BYU since 2001 now. So he's one of the longest tenured coaches in the NCAA, one institution, and he'll never leave BYU. I mean, until he retires. So he's a he's a Cougar through and through. He went there himself. Uh, he loves the school. He loves the town. Um, and he is larger than life. One of the greatest, you know, it's like the cliche. He's a good coach, but a better man or a great coach, but a better man. And I've just been so, so blessed to have him as a, uh, as an, as a mentor and as a, a person that was looking for out for my interest. And he's a great developer of talent. Uh, he's, if you look around the professional running scene in the U S right now, you can look at, there's plenty of staples that have, are at Eyestone descendants, I guess you could say, uh, you got Connor McMillan who runs for Adidas, uh, you know, two eleven, I think is his marathon PB. Uh, you got Jared Ward, Olympian, Connor Mance, one of the youngest, brightest talents in our sport. Uh, Nico Montañez, us 15 K champ. 
Clayton Young, US 15K champ from the year prior, uh, you know, and then myself. Uh, it's just so many, so many of us that have continued to run. And I think a large part of that is, is his incredible uh, mentorship and development of athletes and the program that he's created at, at BYU, which is just one where we just love running and, and got really good off of a culture of just pushing each other and being super competitive. I mean, that kind of experience, um, you know, when you connect with a coach in that way, and also not just you, these other great athletes you're talking about have come through the program and are part of it and succeeding, uh, it leaves a mark on you. Um, and although you're still very young and really just getting your feet wet and, and you know, getting to, to run for Canada and the world champs and like big things that are important to you, does it make you think about down the road for yourself, maybe wanting to coach one day? or doing something like that yourself to work with other runners and try to uh, help them develop the way Ed worked with you? Yeah. So when I got out to Flagstaff and started my professional running journey, all I did was run. And I was like, okay, I can't just run. Like, you know, my wife was a teacher at the time. So I was home alone after my runs till like four or five o'clock at night. And I was just bored out of my mind. I was like, I can only put so much time in between running on like rolling out nutrition, all the good stuff, like that stuff keeps you pretty busy. I mean, I'm a, I would say professional runners are probably busier than you would anticipate, but like also there is some dead time in there. And so I was like, what am I going to do to fill my time? And the first thing I thought of was let's get into this online coaching world that, that has, you know, kind of blown up. I think over the last several years, it's kind of a big industry right now. And so I started doing that in 2020 under Steph Bruce's, uh, business running with the Bruce's Steph and Ben Bruce. Uh, I did that for, I've, I'm continuing to do that, but I've also grown it my own personal clients that I have grown organically with me. And I'm currently coaching, I believe around 20 people. It, it changes. Obviously there's like people that come in and out or take breaks or whatnot, but I think I'm around 20 athletes right now, which is quite a, quite a decent little workload. And I love it. It's, it's a good way to give back. I think some of the things I've learned and yeah, I mean, I definitely see myself as a coach and an athlete. And like, ideally, one day I'm doing what Ed Eyestone is doing right now, uh, you know, leading a, a top tier NCAA Division One program, because I just love Division One athletics. I think it's the coolest thing in the world to, to build your identity around uh, these universities. And the US is so unique in that sense, like, the fandom, the, the camaraderie, like I was a, I was a, a minor celebrity in, in Provo because of, because of being a good runner for BYU. Like that's just such a cool world where like, it's, it's so condensed and, and, and built like around like pride of a school. Right. I would go to the local mall and there's like banners of, of me running or like, like at the mall, like in Provo, it's just like, that's the kind of stuff that, I think in some ways, collegiate athletics might be the biggest part of our sport. Like the NCAA might be the biggest Titan of, uh, of the track and field world. And I think it's, it's really cool the way it's been built. And I definitely want to get back into that game through the coaching world at some point. Awesome. And, uh, before we came on, we talked a little about your own podcast that you're doing, where you love to talk about, uh, 
track meets and diamond league meets and NCAs, NC2As, stuff like that. So um, it's even more interesting. So it gives you something to pay attention to. You know, you want to like jump on the mic, you know, have a hot take. Um, you're watching the races. I mean, there's, and there's so much to talk about, man. I mean, there's the equipment itself. There's the shoes and spikes and, you know, everything that's going on. And, and uh, it just, it keeps it fresh, right? So you're not only just focused on your own running, but you're, you know, you're also looking out at the college and the other levels and, uh, and you're enjoying that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I love the sport because of its, you know, it's multifaceted. It's, it's a professional sport. It's a global sport. It's a big high school sport. It's a big collegiate sport, but it's also a, a lifelong sport that doesn't have an entry barrier. Like there's, there's people that can, that can decide to be runners that have zero experience or knowledge on the sport prior. And then they can become some of our biggest fans and, and supporters of the sport. And, uh, you know, I coach like the 20 people I coach, they're varying abilities, but like some of them are just as dedicated to their craft as me. They just have other, they just have other responsibilities because they're not in the position where it's their, their primary income or primary job. So, uh, it's really cool. Like this sport is, is pretty unique in that sense. Like if you play basketball, yeah, you can go shoot hoops at your local rec center and play a pickup game, but you can't start the same day, run the same course as like, you can't go to TD garden and start shooting hoops right after golden state and Boston Celtics step off the court. Right. But you can run Boston marathon the same day as Elliot Kipchoge. If he, if he happened to be there, right. This is just such a, it's such an accessible sport. It's such a, it's a cool sport. I just think that there's a lot of cool things about it. And, um, you know, it's just a pure, pure endeavor. Like how fast can I be? How far can I push myself? Um, and progress doesn't have to be linear for it to be rewarding. Uh, you don't have to be the best in the world to have purpose. And yeah, there's just so much, so much to work for. Yeah. Those are some great analogies because there are very few sports in the world. Um, you can't, you know, you can play a U.S. Open golf course, you can play courses where the PGA Tour plays, but you can't play them set up the way they're playing them. Yeah. The greens will never be as fast. The pins won't be in the same places. It will never be the same true conditions. But to your point, and I'm still waiting for Kipchoge to run Boston, by the way, I think we all are. And actually, I really want him to run New York City even more so. Um, but he's stated the goal that he wants to win all six of the Abbott majors. So they're coming. It's coming. I don't know for sure if he's going to win because it'll depend on the field and everything else. But um, just uh, I got shots of Kichogi up here. If I throw my zoom up, there he is up on the top. That's me and him running in Central Park with a group of Nike runners. We put something together when he was in town. New York uh, Roadrunners was trying to give him enough money, you know, to retire on for years to get him to run New York City. But it just has never worked out with a schedule yet. But you're right. Um, there's very few sports in the world like that where literally the amateur, you know, can line up with the most elite field and be there for a race weekend with all the pro athletes. And, you know, most of the barriers that exist in pro baseball, soccer, football, like, sure, we can say hello to a pro athlete coming and going out of a game and, you know, maybe golfers will sign a cap or other things and or they'll flip their golf glove or a golf ball. But running is different. Two or three days before Boston, all the elites, you and all of the other pros are all around in the community. They're showing up at events. They're coming out to shake out runs. They're hanging out with people a day or two before they're going to actually run the race 
And they're out there in the community around Boylston Street in Boston. And I don't know of any other sport that's like that, to your point. Yeah. you. I mean, if you're running New York or Boston specifically, you can. if you just stood on the Charles all day, you would see everybody running the race because eventually they're going to do their shakeout and they probably have to do it on the Charles. And same goes for Central Park for any New York event. Um, so it certainly is uh, pretty accessible and pretty cool. And that's like, to me, the peak of the sport is when you get the hype of, of one of those world marathon majors and everybody around, uh, you know, I'm super excited about the world championships because that's unique in its own, in its own right. But I thought the Boston marathon experience was super interesting. I did it in the fall of 2021. Uh, I didn't race well, but I still took like left that race thinking like, yeah, this is, this is special. This is unique. And I ran the New York half this, this spring. And I thought the same thing. I was just like, man, these events are so, so, so world-class, so professional. Um, and you know, the New York Roadrunners, the Boston Athletic Association, those are professional organizations that, that put on a hell of a show for, for pros like myself and for anybody. Like you go to one of those events and you go to your local Turkey trot, it's not, it's, you're comparing apples and oranges, right? It's completely different experience. It's just so alive. Well, it's the energy. It's uh, it's actually hard to put into words for someone who hasn't run in any of those venues before. But, you know, I ran the New York City half. I've run it for a couple of years and that, that course has just changed a little bit. But I still remember seeing some pictures of you blasting up Third Avenue, man. You were, you were way up in the front and there's some great shots, man. You're coming up third avenue before you you know bang the right and cut into times square and you know that's just crazy energy um you know and then you dump back into the park and it's it's uh, it's interesting because it's absolutely it's actually the opposite of the new york city course because we're running out of the park you know coming onto central park south and then you know coming back into columbus circle and finishing up the hill by tavern on the green and you're running the opposite you we're running up third avenue we make the right we go into times square and then we're on central park south we're going back the other way we're reversing the marathon course and you got a pretty big hill in there when you're coming back into the park it's actually pretty it's pretty tough closing you know on that course i mean what did you think of the course the half course so that was probably a top five like experience race i've ever done uh just in the sense of like an atmosphere course uh competition you know the road runners just putting on a great event for for athletes um like myself and i loved it i think new york city has its own magic uh i definitely want to run the new york marathon in the future uh i don't know when that'll make the most sense for me in my my trajectory as an athlete uh i still gotta feel i still kind of feel like i've got to grow as a marathoner before i throw myself into that kind of a race because it's it is it's a very unique race. And I think I learned that from Boston, similar races in the fact that no pacers, difficult course, a lot of energy the weekend of, you know, it's just, it's incredible. Like those, I think those two, they've always caught my eye more than anything else, mostly from a spectator standpoint, but from a competitor standpoint, I think the the same stands, it's it, they stand out. Yeah, no question. What did you learn the most from Boston? Cause that was your first time running there. Um, you know, racing in Boston. What did you learn the most from Boston? I learned that you better feel dang good heading into the Newton Hills because if you're already tired, they will absolutely put you down. You know, like I got to the Newton Hills and I was just starting to come undone. Just for, like I was in the lead pack coming through Wellesley 
uh, we had like kind of a strategic race, a lot of surges, kind of a warm, humid day for the fall. And I remember just, uh, you know, it, it just didn't, didn't feel good going in to those hills. And I just unraveled and I, I probably made a bunch of mistakes that day. And like, I learned a lot and it was still super valuable to be there, but like in my worst nightmare, I wouldn't have ran any worse than that. <laughs> so, so it's like one of those where it's like, yep, we totally like, we we've checked that box. Like I, I literally tell myself now, like, you've already experienced the worst thing that you think, like I can imagine experiencing in a marathon, you know, like having to walk, cramping, just feeling like quitting, stepping off, you know, like multiple times and just like in immense pain with such a long distance to go. Uh, yeah, it's just like, it's very unique in that sense. It's, it's unparalleled and in, in difficulty compared to anything I've ever done uh, in, a, in a road race. So, Well, it will serve you so much for the future when you come back. Um, cause you know, when you come back, it's just going to be so different. Um, and again, how you, how the race plays out is different every time, right? The weather, the humidity, the wind, um, how are you feeling coming into the race? Are you banged up at all? Are you healthy? Um, but you took chances, man. You said you were in the lead in Wellesley. So like, it's not like you were laying back and, you know, running a cautious race. You, uh, you took chances, you know, you took a big swing and it was your first Boston. And, you know, if, if I ever give any advice to anyone, and I, I certainly do, not only on the show, but in real life, I'm like, hey, man, the race doesn't even start until you make that right hand turn at the firehouse. Doesn't even start. Whatever you've done to that point, you better be ready to run from the moment you make that right turn because that's really where it starts. And I'm not talking about winning, like you trying to win or place or, you know, come in the top 10 or something. I'm just talking about for any age group or anybody who's trying to run a fast time or, you know, place high in their age group or get a really solid BQ to come back. You better be fresh or at least feeling pretty damn strong. Like, okay, it's on. I'm ready to climb because everybody talks about heartbreak, but man, that the chain of hills, man, I always feel like, you know, there are other hills in there that are as tough or tougher than heartbreak. It's just heartbreak is the last. And more importantly, as you know, when you're going to bomb down from the top of Boston College, you got to have your legs underneath you, man, coming down Cleveland Circle, man, because that is a serious downhill. And if you have something left there, you know, you know, that can be a very defining point in that race, man. You could let it rip from there and just go. Yeah. Yeah, I when I visualized myself running that race, I like totally put myself on that point in the race so many times mentally of like, okay, you feel good. This is where you you're you're picking people off that have have fallen off. You're you're building momentum and you know, it just couldn't be further from what happened, but I still know like how the perfect day on Boston does play out. Like like I I I understand now like having run the race and been to the course a couple times to, to do a little bit of recon. I know how to run a good Boston, but it's another, a whole nother beast to, to, to execute it. And I think the, the next time I step to that co course, I want to be the best version of myself by far. So, uh, and, and be mentally prepared for what it brings. So super cool experience. Well, I'm betting on you that you will. Um, because an experience like that marks us and no matter how much you put together to be prepared for it and how well the cycle went, you're going to go to the well so much deeper the next time around. And, and obviously working with Ryan, I mean, who had some amazing results there, you know, can't hurt, you know, from, you know, working directly, you know, as your coach, but so let's step back a little and just talk about, I always like to 
have the guests actually talk about some of their favorite races, key moments, PRs, highlights, any, any and all, let's talk through a couple of them. Yeah, I would say there, there's, there's always these defining moments where you feel like you've, you've arrived at your next place in running. Like at least that's how it's been for me. So in high school, I would say like my sophomore year, I was good. I wasn't great. I, I had started making progress and I had like my breakout race at the state meet in Utah where I got fifth as a sophomore in the 3200. And I remember finishing that race that day and, you know, through my coach talking to me and my experience on that, in that race, I was like, okay, I just went from somebody who's running in high school to somebody who now legitimately will run in college. Now I've done enough. Like I've, I've, I've taken this step. I'm running the times I'm running the places at the state meet and I'm a sophomore. So like now I, I have this bigger vision. I went from just being a high school kid to being like, how do I become a college runner? And then same similar thing happens for me in college. I have a really rough first, I'd say 18 months at BYU, just getting my ass kicked day in, day out from by everybody and anyone on that team. Cause it's just such a great competitive team. And I remember finishing my second school year, my, my red shirt freshman cross country season and being so like just fired up with, uh, like fear, feeling like I hadn't made the most of my first 18 months there and going into that indoor season and outdoor season, just wanting so much more for myself. And then I made it to NCAAs as a redshirt freshman that year. So I went from like just getting absolutely obliterated by my own teammates to being one of the top guys on the team. And then I started thinking, okay, now I can be an all American or maybe even a professional one day. Like I'm on the path, like I can see the path now. And then now, like, I would say I finally had that next moment as a pro where I, I've, I feel like I'm on the path to where I want to be as a professional and I can see the path to the, to, to my goals. Uh, and I think that that really, really started, uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I think it started the biggest, most clear way after some failures last year and the success of like the beginning of this year. Like I've been, I haven't had any one race where I was like, that was a perfect race. Like I ran exactly what I thought I could run and executed perfectly. Houston was the closest thing. I ran 61 minutes there, broke the national record in the half. And I would say like, that was like 90 to 95% of, of perfect execution. And I was super happy with it, but I can now see the path. Like I can see the next step and how I become the world-class runner that I want to be, you know, competing at the world championships this summer and hopefully the Olympic games in 2024 and where and how I need to get there and the, and the like incremental gains that I need to make and checkpoints along the way. And I think for me right now, my biggest thing is like racing consistently, uh, going into each race with the goal of learning how to get the most out of yourself, given any environment, any distance, and I think if I get that skill set dialed, that's when I can be dangerous uh, over the longer races. And like the fitness will come. Uh, I'm I, I believe in my talent. So then it's just like about craft and and honing the details and being better at competing and and getting everything out of yourself every time out. So I I can see that path now, and I don't think it's going to come easy. I think there's going to be like little blips where I feel like I lose sight of that path here, but at least I know 
I'm, I'm moving the right direction. I have good guidance. I have great support. Um, and yeah, I feel like I have everything I need to get there. I love that. Um, I think one of the, one of the interesting things when you talk to, um, pro runners who are really starting to find and make their mark, um, they have that experience in college, almost to a person, man or woman, where they either feel completely outclassed, completely out of their league or underwater, like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? My mileage is doubled or tripled. I'm injured. I can't handle the school workload. Like there's just so many things coming at you. You're a young kid. You're so young and you're all of a sudden thrust into this environment. You're a scholarship athlete. You're at a big institution and there's pressure to perform. But the ones who I'm talking to who are really starting to emerge, they're the ones that actually take that as that challenge. Like, holy shit. Like, you know what? I got to work a little harder. I got to put a little more work in here. I got to work on this piece of my running. And I got to believe in my coach believes in me. I can make this happen. And then all of a sudden they turn the corner. So at one point, you know, you're red shirt, you're on the outside, you know, you're feeling like you're overmatched. And at another point, you know, you're, you're, the whole narrative has changed. You're thinking about being an all American. You're thinking about becoming a pro runner, earning a pro contract. And it's amazing how that change of mindset can be the difference between someone who maybe, I don't want to say washes out, that's the wrong word, but just maybe just goes away from running. And, and you know, this as someone who follows the NCAAs closely, like it's so competitive. There's so many good runners, men and women across the board at division one, division two, division three. I mean, it doesn't even have to be division one, right? It doesn't have to be D1, but so, so many of these runners just either they get burned out or they're injured or they don't think they're going to be able to make their mark and then they go on to do something else. But for the ones like you who stayed in there, the motto of the show is stay in the fight. Um, the ones who stay in there, man, and keep grinding and keep fighting to see where you could have gone, right? I mean, you could have just been like, you know what? This isn't for me, right? I mean, could you see a different version where you just said, hey, you know, I'm out, you know, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to keep running. That could have happened. Right. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that multiple times on the team around me. I, I think there's, there's definitely like different levels of talent in the sport and you can be outclassed and there's people that are just so, so, so good at what they do. And you like watch them run and you're like, why isn't it that easy for me? Right. And I know that happens at every level. Uh, you know, you could show up to your local club workout in New York City, Central Park Track Club or something, right? Like any of those things. And you see the top guy in your group and you're like, man, it must be so easy for him or it must be so easy for her. And yeah, it's just like at some point they were the outclassed person. And at some point they will be the outclassed person. And until you reach the mountaintop, which guess what? Only one person does. That's the way, that's the way it goes. So staying in the fight is definitely something that I think is super valuable. And, and there's like different points in the sport where I think like a lot of people like take the road, the, the road out of the sport, you know, like in high school, it's maybe, Oh, that like, I didn't make the varsity team or, or I didn't make it to state or like, I'm discouraged because I got beat by this kid on my team or something, you know, and maybe you just like disconnect and you decide to go elsewhere. That's fine. Like not everybody wants to do this, but then that's going to keep happening. And like the people that end up being your top level professional, especially I think, I mean, everywhere, but I think in the U S with our system that's put in place, it rewards patience and longevity over anything. You look at the top level, especially in, in the longer distances. Uh, it's really just like 
people that have just stuck around and just had weathered the storms. Uh, if you look at a top 10 American women list of, of marathoners, that's probably the best example of it. You know, you got, you got Sarah Hall, Kiara D'Amato, uh, <laughs> they're, they're like in their early forties, late thirties, like just still crushing and, and reaching new levels. You got Steph Bruce, Kellen Taylor, Alephine Tulimak, uh, and then you got the exceptions like Molly Seidel, who had immediate success and, and that's no knock on her. Like she'll, she'll have her battles and she'll have her, her opportunities to take a step back. But if she stays the course, she'll keep getting better probably, and probably reach new heights, which is crazy. Cause guess what? She's already been third at the Olympics you know, so it's, it's a pretty cool thing where it's like the, this sport really rewards patience, perseverance, dedication, passion, love, you know, all those things. So, uh, and I, I don't know where the boundaries of like that patience are. Like I haven't met someone who's like, yeah, I was patient all the way through and it never rewarded me. Like I, I, I will be shocked to find anybody who stuck with the sport and doesn't leave it feeling like they, they got something out of it, uh, that changed them for the better or something. So I, maybe I'm, I'm an optimist or maybe I'm not talking to the right people, but I, I really don't think very many people are mad at themselves for sticking through it. But I know a ton of people that are friends of mine that left it and they're like, oh man, I just want to get back in it. But you know, and they got all their reasons and those reasons are valid, but you know, they, they, they have to live with the fact that they step back, you know? It's a great take. Um, I do believe, I mean, for, for one thing, if we're talking specifically more about the marathon, yes, it rewards those who continue to do the work and continue to grind. And um, over time, as you're, you adapt to training and your body continues to adapt and, you know, you're at altitude and you're doing all these different things, you'll learn what, you know, what your exact mileage sweet spot is. You'll learn, you know, do you need more speed? Do you need more long tempos? You'll, you'll learn and you'll evolve. Or do you need to add way more hills in or less hills or whatever. But over time, you'll get stronger. Your faith gets stronger. You have more belief in yourself. And, you know, those were great examples you gave on the women. And Roberta Groner, my episode drops with her tomorrow. I mean, she's going to be 45 in January. I mean, she ran 229.06 at Rotterdam. She was sixth in the world championships in Doha in like 100 degree plus temperatures. I mean, she's a mom of three. She's a full-time nurse. So not saying anything about Steph or Alafini who are moms and have kids and whatever. But I mean, she is working full-time as a nurse. She's running and she's now coaching with Central Park Track Club for my team. She's a road coach. So, I mean, I can't imagine anybody taking on more stuff with three high school age boys and still performing because inside her, that fire still burns just as bright. She wants to find out just how much she can get out of herself. She wants to maybe try to take Dina's master's record, Dina Castor, one of the greatest distance runners in the U.S. ever, you know, Olympian and silver medalist um, and put together just amazing results. So, yes, uh, I love the take and I don't think you could have nailed it, you know, any more specifically than you did. And um, so you definitely have a good feel, man. You have a good feel for what's going on in the run community and everything. So you had a great run with Nazalie. And, you know, you had done great things with them, worked together, had great training partners. Somewhere along the way there, you decided it was going to be best for you to make a change. Um, and that can't be easy. 
because, you know, you have teammates to do hard work with, you know, the long workouts, the tempos, the track work. Um, so there's a lot that goes, goes into these decisions. So I'm sure you wrestled with it, but what ultimately made you come to the decision? Because obviously your running has been on a huge uptick since you've made some changes. And I'm just wondering if you could like tell us a little bit about what led to that. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough thing because I will always be grateful for the opportunity afforded to me by Ben Rosario. At the time I finished BYU, I was, I was a good collegiate runner, but I wasn't a shoe in to get a, uh, like multiple offers. Like I, the best chance I had to make it in this world was, <laughs> was to join NAZ elite. Like that was, that was my path. And, uh, they gave me that chance. Uh, you know, I, maybe I go somewhere else and I, I still make it, but who knows? We, we, we'll never know. So, um, first off, just super grateful for the opportunity. Also great opportunity to learn from a lot of like true professionals, Scott Fobble, Scott Smith, uh, Steph Bruce, Kellen Taylor, Alephine. I just named those ones because it's just like, boom, pure pros in the game. Um, long careers, all of them, all of them will and have competed through their thirties, uh, or into their thirties have had super highlights, some lowlights, just valuable experience. And then Ben Rosario, somebody who created a, a group out of nothing, chased a sponsorship, has created a mold for uh, team distance running, and now has passed off the torch to Alan Culpepper to take on this, this team and take it to new heights and, and take it into its next generation so that it can, it can last through uh, you know, his time and involvement. Really cool and learned so much from them. But along the way, I kind of slowly stopped uh, having that faith in myself, like we talked about, like, you know, uh, just had a stretch of just stinkers, just races where I went into them, you know, training went here, expectations were here, result nowhere in, in the realm. And I was like, okay, this is weird. Uh, and I just kept at it, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not someone who just like takes a bad loss and, and cowers away. I'm like, okay, let's, let's double down on our efforts and let's keep focused and let's keep trying. But you can only get kicked so many times before you're like, how many times, like, what do I need to do differently? If I keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, that's the definition of insanity as, as they say. So I was like, something's got to give. And it happened probably at like, as soon as I crossed the finish line at Boston in the fall, I, I didn't make up my mind that day, but like the thought, you know, the feeling of like, man, I got to change some things. I got to change some things because something isn't right. And if anybody knows me from my time, it's like, I'm an all in all out kind of guy. So if, if you're having these feelings of doubt and feelings of frustration, like, get out. Like, you know, you got to change something. So, uh, somewhere along that period in between Boston and CIM where I decided to run CIM purely out of frustration with Boston. Cause I was like, that was not a, an implication of where my heart and, and abilities are at. So I was like, I'm doing another marathon in eight weeks, boom, threw it on last minute. And I, and it went well, uh, I, I, that was, I was super happy that I finished my NAZ elite career uh, with a good race. Cause I don't want it to be like, Oh, I left sour. 
I left running probably the best marathon I've run to date. I hope to achieve much more in the marathon, but I got second at CIM, ran a, executed a good race, ran a, a personal best by a few seconds and felt like I, I did a good job out there. And like that, and I did that in, in cahoots with my, you know, my best, best bud on the team, Nick Hauger. Uh, we worked together the whole race, ran basically stride for stride together till 2k to go. Um, and yeah, it was just an awesome way to leave. And then when I left, it's just, what was the logical thing for me? I had to follow like my heart and my faith and do what I thought was best for me. And, uh, you know, through speaking with my agent, Howie Kofleski, uh, and doing a little bit of soul searching and, and all the, all the things that I had to do, I came to the conclusion that Ryan Hall was the right guy for me. Reached out to Ryan. He was game. Uh, and we got right down to work like right after, cause I knew I wanted to run Houston. I knew Ben Flanagan was going to run Houston and chase the Canadian record. And I was like, I'll be damned if he's going to chase a record that I want and not let me like at least try to put up a fight. So, um, yeah, Ryan jumped right in with me, uh, immediately changed so many things for me, has rewired my brain through just his charisma, his wisdom, his faith. And just, I mean, I couldn't have drawn up a better person for me to, to guide me through this transition in my career. Uh, I, in six months of working together, seven months now, I guess, I could not have imagined like somebody working so quickly to change who I am as an athlete and as a person. So just absolutely floored by, by the experience thus far, super grateful. Uh, it feels divine, like that it all worked out this way. And here I am like with Puma now and with like it, it, the, the bet on myself, you know, that's cliche. And it was truly like a bet on myself though. I had a deal, a deal with Hoka that I walked away from and no guarantees that I would ever get another one. It's hard to get a sponsorship in this world. So super grateful that it worked out. I'm here with Puma. I'm getting ready for the world champs. I've had a great season and, you know, 2022 could wrap up after world champs and I could go into hibernation for the rest of the year. And it'd be probably the best year of my running career. So I'm just super like blown away by how consistent and, and fun it's been. Yeah. That's, um, there's a lot to break down in there. Some really good stuff. Um, and you know, when our heart, when our gut is telling us, our heart's telling us, you know, it's just time for a change. You know, we got to listen to that. We got to listen to our internal voice um, because when we're feeling like that, it is time, it is time to make a change, but how you're going to make the change and with whom you're going to go with and what direction it's going to be, man, it could be a myriad of choices. And it's like, what's behind door number one, two, and three. And sure you can pick the right door, but you can pick the wrong door. You could go in a lot of different directions and does not mean in any way that it's going to be good. Um, and I knew you had a good experience with Nazalie. Uh, but it was great to hear you explain just how influential it was for you and how grateful you were to work with uh, Ben and the team and the other runners um, and the mutual respect that you all have for each other. Because, um, man, it's it's a beautiful community and we can't get anywhere in life without our community. You know, the people that support us, the people we do our workouts with, our massage therapists, our sports chiros, um, our wives, our girlfriends, our our significant others, the people that support us. But you know, you, you grew so much as a runner, you know, they took that chance on you. They gave you the opportunity, but 
yes, it was time for you to make a change. And, you know, with Ryan, you know, look, he was a guy who always bet on himself. I mean, he had some remarkable results, but he had some races that didn't go so well. But it's because he took huge chances. And the thing that I can see, you know, I'm just an outsider, just somebody who's followed you on Instagram and Twitter for a while and watched your own running career. You know, you definitely seem to be willing to put yourself right into the mix in these races, even more so now, you know, maybe than you had before. Now, that may not be the case. It may just be that you're fitter now, that you guys are, you know, dialed in your actual workouts. But, you know, definitely mindset has got to be part of this for sure. Um, being more confident in yourself, not being afraid. And I love what you said about Ben because he's been on the show twice and I love Ben, but you know, you guys have a lot of pride, man. You run for Canada, man. You want to do stuff for, for your country the same way I would for the U.S., man, if you're trying to win something or earn an opportunity to run for the U.S. and wear the, the red, white, and blue. So you knew he was going down to Houston to try to get that record. You went down there. You got it. Um, you had a great race. Um, you were in the mix right from the beginning. And, uh, you know, that's, that was a great race for you. And that was your first time really working with Ryan, right? The two of you guys were working together before that race, right? So um, did you guys talk a lot about race strategy or was more that he was already helping you a little bit with the mental side of it and you just had a little more belief like, hey, I'm just, I belong, I'm going out there, I'm going to mix it up and I'm going after this thing. Yeah, a uh, little bit of everything here. Ryan, first off, pushed me like immediately to limits I'd never been pushed, like absolutely changed every piece of what I thought was like intensity and hard work. Um, and that's not saying he murders me every time I step out for a workout. Cause that would be like, he's much wiser than that. But when it's time to, to test the boundaries, he, he keeps me guessing and keeps me like on my toes. And like, I'll have a session written down on our, you know, where we, we post our training and I'll see it at the beginning of the week and I'll be like, I don't know if I can do that. And I, I, I just like straight up and like, I will tell him, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, I think you can give it a shot. And that's happened probably six or seven times at least in the seven months I've worked with him. And I'd say like four or five of those six or seven times, it's gone awesome. A couple of times it doesn't, but like the point of being is like, I've grown a lot from like learning where my edges are and like redefining what, like, what's a hard tempo? What's a, what's a hard, like interval session on the track? What's like, there's, you can go to a pretty dark place in training. And if you're doing it wisely and, in, and, and with guidance of somebody, like you can take big leaps and bounds in fitness through, you know, dancing with the, with the devil and, and getting close to the edge there. Uh, so I've just been really impressed with that. And then also, uh, you know, we nailed some sessions in between CIM and Houston and I had a lot of strength from the CIM build. Uh, and I just was crushing these like fast, long thresholds and faster than I'd ever gone before by so much and felt good doing it. And so the confidence was at a pretty, pretty high level for being able to go out there and race. And I, I love Houston. I ran my, my first big breakthrough under NAZ elite was at Houston. Uh, I know the course, I, I love the way it's set up and yeah, it was pretty simple race plan. It's like, Hey, it's kind of windy out there. Don't lead if you don't have to, uh, you know, your race within the race is for the record. We think you're fit enough for that. Follow Ben, uh, see what he's doing. And I, me and Ben ran probably within five feet of each other up until mile eight or nine. 
and I passed him and I remember him looking over at me and just, I could see in his eyes that he wasn't, he wasn't there. I wasn't having a day and, you know, he's gotten the best of me many times. So, uh, we like, that's just the way it played out on that day. And I know he's probably thinking to himself, like, I'm never letting Rory beat me again. Uh, and I, I hope he thinks that cause I would think less of him if he, if he didn't. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it was just that kind of a day where I was strong. I was, I, I executed and I, you know, I would, I said, like I said, at the beginning of the show, it's, it was like the closest to a perfect race I've run this year. Uh, still not perfect. Still like, you know, that you can, you can execute a little bit better. You can, you can have a better mental edge and stuff like that. But I, I was, I was ready and I love the half marathon and I think that it's my best race at this point in my career. So it went really well. Yeah. I would say 6108 went really well. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's blitzing it, man. And, uh, what was the record before? I know you, you dropped it by a pretty decent amount, right? I think it was 6127. So I beat it by 19 seconds or so. And it was Jeff Schiebler who, uh, is, was like a nineties, early two thousands. I, I, I hope I'm getting this era right, but he ran for a Japanese corporate team actually, which is kind of a cool thing for a Canadian guy to leave the, the North American running scene and go join a Japanese corporate team. And I think he ran that old record back in one of those Japanese races where you hear like 400 dudes break 64 minutes or something. And they're just like crushing. And he, yeah, he had a great career. He was a good, he was probably one of the best Canadian distance runners ever when you look at his whole resume, but, uh, he's like a 13, 13, 5k guy pre super spike, you know, back when that was, you know, pretty special. So yeah, it was cool to get that record. I, I had heard that he wanted people to break his record for a while, which I think that's the way people should always approach record holding is like you set a record knowing somebody's going to break it one day and hoping that all you're doing is raising the bar for the next guy. Uh, and yeah, I think by the time I retire from running, I would hope and expect that the Canadian record will be under 60 minutes for the half. And Maybe I hold it. Maybe Ben holds it. Maybe someone that we don't know holds it right now or someone who hasn't run a half. Uh, but either way, it's going to be the bar has been raised a touch. And I think the next time someone really goes for it at, a, at the right race, it'll be raised again. Yeah, I mean, it's so well said. I mean, that's that's the way records are. And, you know, you guys are still very young, you and Ben. Um, and, and really both developing um, and, and probably have your future strength like most likely in the marathon, just not yet, you know, more development time, as you said, and certainly Ben has really not stepped in there yet. He's going to at some point, hasn't yet. Um, but you know, there'll be some young Canadian lions that are growing up watching you and Ben saying, man, Rory's a beast. Ben's a beast, man. I'm, they're looking at your times. They're looking at your 5k times, your 10k times, your college times, your track times. And they're looking at Ben's time saying, you know, I want to get the, I want to get to that level one day. And uh, that's got to feel good, man. That's got to feel really good to know um, people know who you are and represent your country with pride. Uh, that both of you guys are have done great things and are and um, you know are pr- are proud to to run for Team Canada, right? Yeah, I think uh, if we both have our way over the next two years, we'll be on the Olympic marathon team together in 2024 in Paris. So, um, and he's a friend of mine, and I wish him the best all the time, and. Uh, I think we'll push each other for years to come. And 
yeah, I think we're lifers in the sport. So it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's cool when you have a rival, but is also like a, a deep admiration for one another. Uh, at least I can say that for him. I don't, I, I, I hope he can say the same for me. I think so, but, uh, you never know. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to, I'm sure he'll run Houston again in 2022 with the same goal in mind of, of lowering the Canadian record. And yeah, it could be, could set itself up to be quite the battle for the years to come in the marathon and half. Yeah. You guys going head to head and, uh, you know, friendly rivals for sure. He spoke uh, very highly of you when I reached out and told him I was going to try to get you on. He's like, oh, Rory, be a great guest. Definitely get him on. I know you guys actually worked together at some point, you know, or streamline athletes. He was talking about when you used to spend time up that way uh, in Ottawa with his family, like I guess way back in the day when you guys were a lot younger, right? Well, we we overlapped a few times in the NCAA, but like the Ottawa was actually just this last trip. Uh, we, I, I had like two meals with his family, his entire extended family, one before and one after the race. And so it was really nice of him to, you know, welcome me in, even though we were both, you know, we ended up finishing first and second. So I was his, his competition, but like, we, I like to joke that he's only my enemy for however long the race lasts. So, uh, you know, as soon as the gun fires and until we cross the line, but after and before, like he's a, he's a buddy. So, uh, yeah. It's we've got we've had some good good experiences in the NCAA and then some post collegiate stuff and and I'm I'm assuming our our best days are are in front of us for for competing against one another as well. Yeah, no question. So um, having you know come from the NAS Elite side when you had training partners right Fobbs and Scott Smith and and you know many others you know who knows maybe even your Ben Bruce was doing some stuff with you I don't even know I know he works a lot with the elite women on the team but you know now it's more or less the lone wolf mentality which I think is suited to you by the way um you have that underdog spirit man you got the fire in your belly um and you you got the grit for sure um now do you get a chance to work with other i mean obviously there's so many talented uh runners that may not be running for x xyz team do you get a chance to partner up and pair up with some of the crazy stuff ryan is throwing your way or are you pretty much just going the lone wolf mentality on your on your tough workouts these days it's been it's been like i would say like one out of every three workouts i have somebody to work with uh at this rate through working with Ryan, maybe, maybe 50, 50, but definitely not more than 50, 50. So Ryan coaches a few other people in town, which is nice. Uh, you know, we train for different things at different ability levels sometimes. Uh, so it doesn't always overlap, but when it does, we try to work together this morning. I ran with Diego Estrada, who is a recent, uh, addition to the Ryan hall training group that we, that doesn't necessarily have a, an official name yet. Uh, but, yeah, so I've done a couple workouts at Diego. Caleb Webb is a 357 miler that Ryan coaches that ran for Portland, got a good aerobic base. So we we can overlap on some things and he can push me here. I can push him there. And then we have a young kid named Sayer Salgado uh, from Cuba that is a pretty young talent and has I've worked out with him a few times. And then like the occasional outsider you can link up with. Uh, I did a workout with Ed Chez out here a couple of weeks back. I did it. I did a handful of sessions with Ben Blankenship over the winter while he was in town. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is like somewhat of a lone wolf experience working with Ryan versus like at NAZ elite, you almost always had somebody, uh, if not multiple people to work out with. But in some ways I feel like 
I can grow as an athlete running alone in these sessions and just being with your thoughts. And cause I'm competitive, like, yeah, of course I'll get more out of myself running next to somebody just because I of the urge to like match someone else's ability or, or surpass them. But like, sometimes there's more to be gained from like learning how to control yourself and, and, uh, keep it under control and not worry about anyone else and just listen to your body and become super in tune with all those things. Uh, and I do like the underdog mentality in some ways, but, uh, and I think I'll continue to have that just because my path hasn't been linear and it hasn't been easy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it suits me well following the bike is pretty, uh, helpful as well. Like Ryan biking in front of you, I'm surprised at how much I enjoy like just that, like that seems like something that you know, there's no competitiveness, but there's like some camaraderie, there's some support, there's some accountability with that. So it's been really good. And it gives you variety. Um, and then also the lone wolf, you know, doing those solo things. It isn't just that you're holding yourself back. Some days you're not feeling good and you still have to push and you are alone. And that can still simulate more race conditions if you're somehow find yourself gapped in a race or other things that can happen out there. So all of it is just going to lead to your development and continue to help you grow as a runner. So all positive stuff. Um, going back to signing up with Puma, which, you know, it's exciting to see what they're doing because um, they're really coming onto the scene big time after signing Molly and, and going out there and signing other pro runners like yourself. Personally, yeah, we talked before coming on the air about some of their shoes, and I'm a big fan of the Fast Star Nitro Elite and have a couple of pairs of shoes in my closet. But how have you found um, the experience so far? Uh, I'm sure you're excited to land another contract and all. How's it been working with their team and just you know getting started with the brand? Yeah, so it's it's in its infant stages. So I don't have as much experience as, as I would like and hope to gain from working with them. Uh, but I am incredibly like grateful that, you know, their team decided that a Canadian road guy was worth investing in. Uh, cause that's not always the case. You know, there's, there's plenty of really talented athletes out there that, that don't get offers. And that's just, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. It's just like, there's one guy on each, each of these companies that kind of guy or gal that can decide your fate if they decide that they think you're cool and that you reach their goals of what they're trying to accomplish in their, in their competitive lens, uh, and you're signed. And if they, if they don't, if it doesn't jive, then you don't, you don't get the deal. So I'm just grateful that I was given the opportunity. And I think Puma is a, is a fun, you know, brand to jump in because in some ways it's the best of both worlds. It's a big, big company, fourth largest sports company in the world, if I'm not mistaken, as far as like international revenue. Um, but they're kind of new and in the endurance world. Uh, so I get to be kind of part of their pioneering experience that Molly kind of grabbed onto really early and has had a lot of success with, and she's kind of paving the way for us. Um, but yeah, they've, they've been signing a lot of studs. I mean, Annie Frisbee, who was fifth at New York, I believe fifth or sixth. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, I can't recall off the top of my head. And then Dakota Lindworm, uh, who is uh, one of the top American women. Uh, Sarah Vaughn, who won CIM. Like I could, you know, they just signed Sam Atkin and Jack Rowe, British uh, 5,000, 10,000 specialists. They're definitely like stepping up to the plate with their new group in North Carolina as well. 
And I'm just like really honored to be one of the many that they're, they're believing in and they're in their infancy in the professional uh, landscape. And I hope that, you know, I, I return on their investment. I believe in their product and I, I prove that, you know, things are working well here. And uh, yeah, that's all you can really ask for as, as a, as a professional athlete is that somebody wants to work with you, that they see value in what you do and what you bring. And so I'm just over the moon, you know, it, it, it was such a relief. So. Yeah. It's great to, to have the sponsorship and have a brand that's, uh, you know, investing in you, um, and believes in you, uh, cause you have your coach and you have your family, um, but then you have the brand as well. So all that stuff, uh, is just important, you know, for your mindset, you know, with the, the kind of grind that you have to live as a professional runner, man, it's a lot of hard work. So having, uh, having that support behind helps, um, your drive, energy, and spirit, it's palpable. Uh, where do you think it comes from? Hmm. Uh, well, I could, I could give it a lot of, a lot of things. I think part of it is comes from being the, uh, the small kid for a lot of my life. I'm not a small distance runner anymore. It's kind of funny. Cause like people don't believe that like how small I was growing up. So I'm, I'm five eleven now. I'm like, I look like a giant sometimes because these professional athletes are so short in our sport. Um, but when I was a kid, I was always the smallest kid, the smallest kid on the football team, smallest kid on the basketball team, smallest kid on the baseball team, whatever I did, I was tiny. I just grew at a, I, I grew like a year behind everybody else, I swear. And so I had to make up for my lack of size with, with a big heart, you know, like, I, I used to pride my, you know, the, the movie Rudy. Yes. So I feel like that movie embodies like my spirit in a lot of ways. Um, now I'm not saying I'm as tough as Rudy Rudiger. Like that's, that's a pretty high, high bar, but I always like to believe that I, I can work as hard as anybody. And I have some of those edges that he has in that show, uh, perseverance, you know, hard work, underdog mentality. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it starts there and then it ends in like faith, uh, and being of someone who believes like I was, I was born to do this, that I, ever since I was a little kid, I, I, I viewed myself as a future professional athlete. Now, when I was a little kid, it started as hockey, it transitioned to baseball, it, it went to football. And then, you know, those were all pipe dreams with, with my build. But bottom line is I, I love to compete. I love sport. And, uh, I have faith that I was meant to do this because it's always called me. So, uh, yeah, I just, I, I wouldn't be any, I wouldn't be anywhere else and be full, full, you know, like this is what fills my cup. This is what makes me feel like I'm whole. And, uh, and it's just a, it's a special thing to, to get up every day and like be excited to do what you do. Yeah. Well said. Well, I just know, how much of an influence pre had on me. And, you know, he was the ultimate underdog and he was the ultimate undersized kid. And, you know, you might be 5'11 now and, and feeling like you're taller than all the other runners, but it doesn't matter. It's how you see yourself when you're a kid. So you can flash back to being that smallest kid on the baseball team or the football team or the hockey team and just knowing, you know, how much harder it was to be that small, how much harder you had to work. So that kind of spirit when it's instilled in us as kids and, you know, if you have older brothers or bigger kids in the family and you're always on the smaller side, like I was, 
you just, you have to fight for everything. You gotta fight and be so much more competitive to get attention, to get your seat at the table or to, or to make a team, you know, to get picked. So, um, that's definitely, uh, you know, definitely shines through. I also know your faith is important to you. Um, how do you think that helps you as a runner? Um, does it help you as a runner? Or is it just something that's just more important to your overall life? As a father now, you have your son is coming up on a year old. Like how, how important it is, it, is it to you in your overall life? I would say it's, it's, uh, it's everything. I mean, if, you're, if, if you have like a full, I, I'm trying to think of the rest, best way to say this. Like to me, it's all encompassing, right? So there shouldn't be an arena of my life where faith isn't the number one component. And that's kind of one of the things I had to learn in the transition from NAZ elite to working with Ryan is I was also going through some battles as a person. And a lot of those were built around strengthening my relationship with my faith and with God. And I would say the reason why things have gone well, you could, you could easily give credit to, you know, new coaching environment, you know, all these things like you could credit all these people and all these things and they, they deserve credit and they're, they're a piece of the puzzle. But at the end of the day, like all that was driven by movement of faith. Right. So I wouldn't, I leaving NAZ elite required me to trust that my feeling of needing to leave was coming from a, something higher than myself. And then joining Ryan had to come like, how does that idea come about? And then competing and not having fear of failure is probably the biggest component where it overlaps in running. And I, I've been working with a, you know, a therapist over the last year because of some, some, just some, some hurdles that I was working through at the time. And one of the things I've tried to do is like leak the faith aspect into all my life. Um, because, you know, when you're anxious, when you're stressed, when, when there's, there's high stakes, uh, it's, it's easy to like become overwhelmed and, and lose sight of the bigger picture. And for me, it's been, uh, it's been very freeing to let go of that, that need for, for that like little kid in me to prove himself all the time and just say that my worth comes from something above and beyond what I can comprehend and what anyone can comprehend. And yeah, it just takes a load off. It just takes a huge load off in, in all areas of life, just to let go and let God, you know, that's kind of a saying that, that is pretty rings true in all things. And, uh, yeah, I just feel like it's, it's all encompassing and it's, it's been a big, big piece of, uh, the last probably 10 months more than anything, uh, but a lifelong pursuit, uh, that led me to where, you know, you got to hit rock bottom in your life to kind of want to dig your climb your way out and 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 reach higher so that's kind of where it started yeah and i ask every guest and it sounds like a lot of what you just talked about comes under this this question is really i ask every guest like what's the darkest hole or darkest spot they've ever had to dig out of in their life um it kind of started for me like where that question came from just to give a little context to rory it's just like during the pandemic so many so many of us just were so isolated and so uh taken away from our routines in life and in the world, like going to a place of employment, being around other people, having social interaction. And, you know, all of us kind of more or less forced into this isolationist living and not being around families, not being around friends, not being able to do community-based things. So um, 
I've just found some of the answers to be really powerful about, you know, what some of those big things people encountered were. And again, not just during the pandemic, but a lot of it was centered around uh, people's struggles during the pandemic. And then more, most importantly, like how did they find their way out? So I think a lot of the things you were just talking about point to that, but darkest hole and how you came out the other side. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is, I, this is part of life. And I would say, you know, you never like expect it to happen to you or, but like dealing with loss. And I lost my father at the beginning of 2021. Uh, and I became a father in 2021 and I was missed the Olympic team in 2021. I was running the worst I'd ever run in 2021. So 2021 was actually my 2020, you know, a lot of people like had that, that year in 2020, but I felt absolutely buried by all these things. Like each independent event I probably could have taken in stride, but it was the succession of all of those things that, you know, some of them weren't bad. Like we bought a house, we got a kid, uh, you know, those things are two of the greatest blessings in my life. Um, but they're still like big life changes. And I, uh, I just like was felt really buried by the fact that, you know, running used to be my only outlet for like hard times. And when running stops becoming an outlet because it's going poorly. And then also all the real things in life aren't, aren't going great. Uh, and there's some, there's a lot of real life stress. I just was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure some, some shit out here. Um, and for me, that was going to somebody I trusted uh, Shannon Thompson here in Flagstaff works with, uh, hypo two and NAU as a sports, uh, psychologist. And I just said, Hey, like we work together, you know, me really well. Like I'd like to get some help outside of sports psych, you know? And she recommended me to a guy named Bert Gershader, who is a 75 uh, year old Jewish man that lives in Bend, Oregon, that used to be the head uh, sports psych for NAU athletics. And so she had a connection with him from Flagstaff. And I was, she's like, I know you, you're a man of faith. Bert is a wise old guy that has like, he's really grounded in his faith. You know, even though he's, he's Jewish, I'm Christian. Uh, there's a lot of overlap and it, and it was the perfect match, like match made in heaven. Uh, this, this 75 year old guy has, you know, saved my life in so many ways. Uh, just by guiding me and talking to me and being a voice of reason and, and helping me grow closer to in my faith and, and use some skills that, that translate really well through all of life. So, you know, the, how I got out of the hole was, was asking for help to get out of the hole. And that required a lot of action items, you know, seeing a therapist, attending church more regularly, um, praying more, just doing all sorts of things that just like sat well with me. But, but basically I, I, I hit my version of rock bottom where I would decided I'm not going any lower than this. I've never felt more low in my life. And I was like, I need to do this because I'm, I'm a new, newly found father. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm, I'm an athlete. Like there's so many things I want to do and I just feel overwhelmed right now. So I, that's, that's, that's the whole, and that's how, that's how I got out of it. Well, thank you. That's some great context, too. Um, as you said, it'd be very easy to just point and say, you know, this transition to run and working with Ryan and all these other things 
Sure, they're very important. And you uh, gave him huge kudos, as you did to your old teammates and your old coach, Ben, and everyone on the other side that you work with. But uh, it's there's always a lot more in the picture that isn't always visible. Sometimes it's beneath the surface all the way. It's like a duck floating on top of the water, looking so graceful, but, you know, working so hard to to float, but no one sees it. They just look so beautiful, you know, going across the water. So um, making sense of those different things that were happening, you know, losing your dad, having your child, but not having your dad around while you had the child, like it's all like pieces of a puzzle and, you know, getting somebody whose faith, is strong and understands how strong your faith is and, you know, helping you kind of piece that together is such an important piece um, because we need it, man. As no one, we, everybody needs to have faith in something um, because these times will challenge us every day. Um, things are happening around the world that just, they're just, uh, they're just difficult. They're difficult to process. And it's just hard to see some of the things that are going on in our world around the world, not just in the U.S., that happen and uh, our faith helps to keep us grounded. Um, and certainly running helps to keep us grounded, not just running on a professional level, but for many more people that listen to run chats that are just regular amateur runners that dream of qualifying for Boston one day. Um, there's no other thing in the world that can make us instantly um, forget about how bad everything is once we get out the door and get a couple of miles under our belt, even if it is just for 45 minutes or an hour, an hour and a half. And then sure, our problems will still be there when we come home, but maybe we at least got a chance to breathe and relax and let that stress and anxiety and pressure go away. So um, thank you for sharing um, that situation. I, I think it, uh, it will definitely help uh, quite a few people to hear it. Um, community service. Um, I know that it's something that I ask every runner about, um, and it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't have to be anything running related, just could be something that, you know, it's important to you that either you're thinking about doing, or you feel that you might be able to do that could help influence, um, anybody, um, in, in any particular area. Yeah, this one's tricky. Uh, but also like the, the way that I thought about this was, you know, in our world, in our community, what I, what I like to do is, uh, just basically always be available. So I've got a lot of friends. I've got a lot of, uh, people that maybe look up to me in in some capacity, just because of my stature as a, as a professional runner. And, you know, I'm not trying to act like I'm a, a celebrity by any means, because I I'm small, small potatoes in in like a big, in a big world, you know, but there are, I still have some influence. And my number one thing is like, I never say no, never say no, never say no. And that, that could get harder and harder as time goes on. But like someone shoots me a DM probably once a week with like some sort of like life advice or running related thing. And like, I always read it and I always respond to it. I never just go, eh, this is silly, you know? And so to me, it's like just being available, being available, available and accessible. Um, and that's like what we said earlier in the chat about, uh, you know, what makes our sport unique. You know, a young Hooper isn't going to message LeBron and get a response, but that's, you know, partially because LeBron James is so much larger than life. Um, but like, luckily for me, uh, I have a, a palatable amount of traffic coming my way and I can, I can always find time. Maybe it's not immediate, but oh, eventually uh, to, to dedicate some, some thought and uh consideration to what someone might have to ask me or to request from me or 
you know, there's, there's a lot of those opportunities. So I just live by the simple, don't say no, just try to try to help anybody that you can. Very commendable. Um, and not something that everyone is doing at your level. So again, very commendable and uh, certainly appreciated by people in the running community um, who reach out or take the time to comment on someone's post. It's always nice when we get an elite runner who actually writes back to something, you know, if we write a comment on one of their posts or share something they've done, um, it definitely lifts us up. Um, so it's circular, right? You're, you're doing that and they're getting the appreciation back on the other end. And it's definitely something uh, that we all need to do more of for sure. Um, well, we've covered a lot of ground and some really great stuff. And I appreciate everything you've shared. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything else big other that we didn't get to, you know, World Champs Oregon, obviously coming up will be your big, big area of focus. But is there anything else that we didn't get a chance to cover off on something that's really an important topic or maybe any kind of message you want to leave to everybody before we roll out? I mean, I feel like I, I, I preached quite a bit here, so I won't, I won't overdo it, but I would just say, uh, recently I felt like there's a lot of people that, and I tweeted about this. This was a thread I tweeted. There's a lot of people that are really talented and I, I speak specifically to them because I, I relate to them where there's like this, this, this gray area between like people that have opportunity to continue to do the sport at the level that I do it and people that maybe don't feel like they have that opportunity. And I just said in a, in a thread recently, like it doesn't have to look like professional contract agent signing, you know, joining a pro group. There's a lot of ways to stay in the sport and keep doing what you love. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that means for you just like joining your local club, like central park track club, or, um, you know, just hammering miles, five or six days a week and just like, just staying with that mental space of like running is my safe space. I just think more people should just stick it out. Like just keep running. You don't have to keep training for something specific. If something comes and inspires you along the way, do it. But uh, I just think running is something that could be for everybody. And especially just, just in general exercise, like, like it's such a safe place. It's so good. We know it's the best thing we can do for ourselves. So movement matters and just, stick with it. The sport, the sport will give to you if you stick through it. That's a great message and a, a wonderful place to land it, man. Well, Rory, I appreciate you so much coming on and sharing all of this inspiring stuff, man. It's going to get definitely going to move the needle, um, fire up some runners uh, to hear your story and your kind of great uh, results you've been putting out of late. And, uh, you know, the future's bright, man. And we're excited to follow along and, and keep, uh, tracking you and and watching what goes on and uh we'll be rooting for you in world champs oregon 22 for you to have a great result running for canada man so uh all the best with it we sign off every show we tell all the runners to keep lacing them up keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight wow that was such a fun chat really enjoyed having rory on gave some great examples of just some tremendous ups and downs in his careers going all the way back to you know some of his high school running his college running where he felt overmatched at BYU uh, to just uh, the various phases and milestones you work through as a runner you know to get to the level that he's at at a professional level you know trying to get to the highest levels a world-class runner and he's certainly well on his way um, he's got a fiery spirit he's one hell of a competitor 
And I love that underdog mentality and uh, sharing uh, the many experiences that he did. Um, he's certainly super grateful for everything he learned uh, and for the opportunity to have that get that first pro contract with Naz Elite and all of the experiences uh, working with Ben Rosario and the other great athletes over there. And it was wonderful to hear him talk about that. Um, but sometimes we do need to change. And he did listen to his heart and he trusted in his faith. And uh, things are just going so well for him right now. So excited to keep following Rory's journey. I hope you all take away a lot of great uh, things from this episode. I know I surely did. And if you enjoy it and you feel compelled, take a moment, hop on Apple Podcasts, write a quick review. Let us know something about this episode that uh, really moved the needle for you. And as I always say, friends, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends.